Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. No gambling jokes. Nope. So... We're back. We're just going to jump right to it because let's be real, y'all. Like, this is our second one posting in a couple days. That's our goal. We don't really have control over when they get posted, but that's the goal. Yeah, now that my sugar coma is over, (laughs) that three-week sugar coma that hospitalized me. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll get a note from a doctor. (laughs) Not the doctor. Any doctor. Uh Uh-oh. What are you doing? I don't know. I had noise. Don't don't touch the equipment, Kurt. So we're going to start with risk factors for gambling use disorder. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's, again. I just wanted to mention, you know, the last podcast, you know, we talked about the, the kind of data, the facts, um, how it kind of progresses, the three C's. In case someone didn't listen to the last episode, they might want to go back and listen to that one first. Control, loss of control. Loss of control, craving. And consequences. Yes. That's going to be my button of the episode. Just kidding. Please don't shut this off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, risk factors. I think that when we talk about use disorders all the time, we talk you about- think? We, we talk about the genetic predisposition. And there clearly is one without, with alcohol and other substances, about 50% roughly. It's about the same. Um, and obviously- the exposure. If you're watching gambling being done, and that's what our good friend Ted Hartwell, who we're you know stealing a lot of this from, our friend we're Ted. not stealing it. He said we could use it, um, and he will be on with us at some point. Now he better because we keep saying he is. But he had said that. Remember, he moved in with his dad, and his yeah. dad was gambling, and so he started doing it at a younger age. So yeah, very young. Started playing poker. He said yes. So. And, and he was doing a lot of video games that were kind of gamble-type, you know, things. We should really things. podcast his gaming echo he did. Yeah. That yeah. would be a good one. So, and of course, one of the big things, questions I had going into this is, what what's the difference between men and women as far as their gambling? I was like, okay, are we really going to the difference between men and women? <laughs> yeah. That's a weird tangent. Yeah, sorry. Go off on that one. I sorry, he I touched. Keeps touching this cord is loose. Push I think. it back into the thing. No, I'm not going to yet till we're done. Okay. So anyway, let's just say this is very. It was kind of like an aha moment when we were listening to him talk because it's very much like alcohol, like identical. Yeah, women tend to start late, but they telescope. They telescope, meaning you start later, but you are quicker to develop into badness. Yeah. Whereas guys. May gamble much of their life, but they don't really quickly have trouble. They slowly have a problem. I had a guy it, like that today with alcohol. And kind of slowly got worse. And kind of like everything else, you know, there's this overlap with mental health and, and, and substance use disorder. And I feel like I just did this talk because we did for the medical students, but and the echo, it's or on the podcast, it's been a while, but you know, that crossover mental health and gambling. Um, Trauma well, scores. Yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting because he talked a little bit about the A scores, but he also talked about trauma later in life, which is a little different. A than, little different than, mm-hmm. than other things we talk about, where often like bad relationships that end, you know, later in life, or you know, some financial Although, issues. 
I don't know if we've ever really looked into it too much for other use disorders. Because if you think about it, you could extrapolate a little bit, but this is the first time I've seen it mentioned. Unlike yeah, the other use disorders, they don't talk about it right away. I got to be honest, you know, if I have some kind of major loss like like he just like he talked about, I'm not sure my first go-to would be to go gamble. It just wouldn't. I, I so I find that really you fascinating. You don't know that. Well, I don't. I, I guess I don't, but still. Um, and there's some personality characteristics, too, when you look at, you know, what type of people tend to, to gamble. And it's really often people who are those workaholics, very impulsive people, you know, people that get bored or restless. Although, again, we see that in opioid use disorder often. Do. And then the pandemic, I mean, isolation. And, you know, I there's days, there's moments of my days where I'm like, oh, thank goodness for COVID. Because, you know, like when my kids were sick all those days... There was a couple of days I can do my job from home. It's not ideal. I'd rather sit in a room with a patient a million times over. But if I have to, I can. So like, thank goodness for COVID to give us that ability. But, you know, we went and visited a friend and her son, like in Hawaii they were. But during the lockdown, his socialization with his friends were through gaming and yeah, all of that, and so kind of gambling kind of became one of those things too. Uh, it's at home and online gambling. Online gambling. Yeah. So there's also some physical manifestations that people go through as they gamble, and interestingly, some of those things were things I did not expect. Um, not at all. Unless they're related to some of the other troubles, where he talked about seventy three percent may also have an alcohol use disorder or at least at risk drinking. So with with gambling, often you'd see like hypertension or sleep deprivation or cardiovascular disease and these other things. And so it may be too that they're comorbid, hard to know. That's true. Like, again, these are not necessarily causative, but they're correlated. Correlated. Um, I always thought people were so fancy when they said that. That's why I've said it twice in this one episode. Yeah, it, you didn't sound horribly smart saying it. But, but, oh, thank I, you. but too, we talked a little bit about self neglect and how when people are in the midst of their use disorder for gambling that they'll they don't take their meds you know they don't go to other appointments they're they're totally immersed in their gambling and they don't do the other things that they're supposed to do they don't exercise so uh, that also <laughs> that, causes trouble that's probably not the biggest red flag to look for just because <laughs> yeah. i mean oh you're not exercising you must be a gambler i mean <laughs> no that isn't i wouldn't go there right right so let's just kind of yeah but i mean think about that though now that you said that missed appointments and all of that like think about if you're sitting in a casino much like a jail where do you ever see a clock in a casino there it's aren't. like vegas we we've, we've been there to present at times and there's not a clock. There is no sense of sun rising or sun setting. Can you imagine? I mean, you can easily imagine losing all sense of time mm. completely. So I, there's lots of times I don't know what day it is. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about withdrawal symptoms. That's on the, you know, dementia screening form. <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, we want to do your mocha right now. We can. I don't even know what a mocha is. So that's not true. He does. The interesting part of. This use disorder, there's also withdrawal. Which is mind-blowing to me. Yep. But again, it's all about dopamine. It, it, exactly. And this is where I think every single, this is my soapbox every Are you just time. making this up? No, this is real. This, this is like my real experience. Like whenever anybody talks about, you know, the loved ones, or just quit or, 
you know, oh, anything like that. And they think it's this choice. They think people are using because of a choice at some point. You know, it's that point of you're using to not be sick when we're talking about opioids or every other drug out there. This is no different. And it's not because they're they're using because they like to get high on whatever or they like to throw away all their money at some point is the brain that you have no ability to control what your dopamine is doing at any given time of the day. Yes, you can do things that make it go up or down, whatever. But you don't have control over the dopamine, which is why, like you said after before my tangent, that people who have gambling disorder will also have the same darn withdrawal symptoms as all the other substance use disorders we treat on a daily. I'm sorry, I must have missed that. Could you repeat that? No. So you can rewind and you can listen to the podcast when it airs in a couple of days. So one of the things that he talked about was really the effect of this on families. And like every use disorder, there's issues with kids. And that's something that he wanted to really point out is, is that people that gamble have other issues that affect the kids and the other people in the family. Maybe this is a huge percentage though. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, more almost half. Um, this slide says 64.5% have clinically significant anger problems. Yeah. So how does That's it affect their children? Oh, well, you're more on than that page. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can pick that one. But uh, And when people have these anger or rage issues, then often they gamble right afterwards. So it's in, important to understand that it's it's kind of that cycle too, and it affects the family and the kids, and they're involved, and they're in the home. So the anger and all these things can also affect the family. Okay, Kurt. So what do we do about it? I don't know. This is hard. I, I I feel like this kind of fits in the bucket of meth or cocaine or the psychedelics or marijuana for that matter kind of deal. You know, it's we don't have a good we don't have a good buprenorphine for gambling. We don't have a great, you know, I don't know. There's just not a great medication. Again, we're going to think about in a second when we talk about medications. Kind of the dopamine things. Dopamine. Well, and I think that, that You didn't even make fun of me for that. What yeah, are you looking at? Uh, well, I was Kurt's just, reading the New York Times. Yeah, I was. <laughs> um no, I think that actually the large print edition. We often have to think about just like with anybody with a use disorder, what are their other mental health issues? And and so are those types of medications going to help? I mean, I think often I think that when we were studying for the boards a couple few years ago. You know, it seems like Paxil was one of the serotonin uptake and thing ones that was used for that. But mm-hmm. but they they talk about all these different meds that have been that are in trials or have had some trials, and it's lots of different things. You right. know, the serin re, uh, reuptake inhibitors, the sen- second generation antipsychotics, the mood stabilizers. All these different things have been evaluated. Pretty much everything we try for anything else. Yeah, but I mean, like naltrexone. Yeah, you know, wouldn't you think it would help? I, you, I mean, but it's on here. Yeah. Um, but I do love that point, like you had mentioned, is that co-occurring. So if we can start working on treating the mental health diagnoses, that might help. Um, you know, and it's always that question, what do you do? What do you treat first? In this case, you're going to probably want to kind of try to do it both. But ultimately, it's a lot of the support groups and it's a lot of those modalities. Yeah. I did like the percentage he gave that, you know, roughly 30% of patients will kind of go through the natural recovery all on their own without having to seek help, without needing meds, or without yeah. ever even really talking to many people about it. Yeah, not unlike alcohol, where a significant proportion of people actually never go to treatment. They decide they've got an issue and they stop on their own. 
And so with gambling, that's also seen. And, you know, how do they do it? Hard to know. Right. And they, they t- he talked about a lot of different support group. Gambler, Gamblers Anonymous, I think, is more well known. I had not heard of Gaminon. I just love saying it, but it's actually a thing. It's like Al-Anon. So it's for the loved ones. It's for the significant others. The wife, he said his wife went there. Um, and then, you know, the regular, you know, therapies, the CBTs, the all of that. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, residential and intensive outpatient even. Yeah. The, and he said that one of the big issues with that is uh, whether insurance will pay for it. Right. And that's one thing I found interesting is because there are different in different states are different. So I'm not going to go beyond Minnesota. But in Minnesota, there's a separate license you need as an outpatient treatment facility to treat gambling. Yeah. Which is irritating to me. Yeah. So I'm passing that one slide along at the end of here to our people. But basically, he did mention much like any other use disorder is it can't just be a one-handed, here you go, here's your med, or here, go to treatment, you're cool. This is a long-term thing. You need to have that active treatment plan like you would for blood pressure or anything and kind of stay engaged. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest (laughs) things. yeah again. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I took away from this was really screening for it. I just, it's just not something I've really considered asking about, and I'm going to change that. So I think we all should really think about that as we, and we added it to our screening form just that day. <laughs> like during the talk, as yeah, we mentioned. During the talk. So um, I think having the referral resources is important. Um, you know, screening is great, but I think even finding, you know, Minnesota, again, finding a place for help for this is going to be a little bit more challenging. Um, we'll kind of touch base on how you can find that information in Minnesota. Otherwise, you can go to that federal, whatever, national centers for problem gambling and get information for your state. But um, it is I, there's a lot of stigma with this, too. And in my mind, I almost anecdotally would think that, do you think this might have more stigma even than substances? Because I think less. Well, less than uh, substances in the ter- in the viewpoint of like drugs are dirty and needle, well, all those things. But there's no there's no direct health effects. You know what I mean? It's not like you have alcohol. We know it's going to do this to your liver. You you inject drugs into your arm. It's going to do blah blah blah. It has all these potential gambling. Yes, it has these health effects as we talked about, but it's less visible and tangible, especially right away. I feel like this is more of a shameful type. Yeah, it's different. Stigma. I think we should do a study. I, it'd be interesting to see how people, what View. the highest negative feelings are towards which of these addictions, right? Yeah, I just so. because I, I, and maybe it's just kind of the my own um, like viewpoints, but. People with gambling disorder are so good at hiding it. With substances, it's harder to hide it because there is that physical impact. Yeah, that's probably true. So that's where I think screening is even more important. So let's just end with a couple simple questions that you could ask somebody to screen for it. And I like it's called it's lie bet screening. Oh, I was doing the BBGS, the brief biosocial gambling screen, but I like your lie bet screening one better. Because to me, it has to be simple. It's like, have you ever lied about how much you've gambled? And I'll bet you that's common. Right. And then have you ever felt the need to bet more and more money? Like you're chasing that. Hmm. I have chasing the losses. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, that's. I think that's just like too simple. One questions. more rippy. Yeah, like yeah. Let's just do it. We'll catch up. Right. So, all right. Well, I think that's about it until we get Ted well, to talk. Ted to talk. <laughs> I love it. Um, in Minnesota, just because you know, that's where we, we are. live there. If you want, Minnesota um, has all these resources. Again, we're in that alliance, the National Alliance. But the the website is really easy. It's mnapg.org um, for tons of resources. They have tons of things, flyers, handouts, all the things, just even brochures on explaining what it is, things for families. So you yeah. can easily get that. Take a peek. Well, we appreciate everybody listening. I think we'll be back next week uh, to do maybe, another one. Maybe in a couple of days even. Yeah, maybe you never know. We're just going to pile them out now. <laughs> Until we don't. <laughs> All right, thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. Produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman and music by Battle Eggs on Spotify. And snow, the whale fishes blow, and the daylight seldom seen brave boys.